Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry, and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. We don't have a method. We don't have a technique. We have an all-inclusive person. If our eyes would be open, we would be exhilarated with the liberty this would bring into our spiritual life. We wouldn't be praying for this or that. We would just love, enjoy, receive, and experience Christ as everything. It's wonderful. For centuries, Christians have struggled to comprehend the biblically correct understanding of the Trinity. But today we're going to discover that beyond its theological importance, the Trinity is vital to our being able to experience the God of our salvation. Welcome once again to the Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. Ron Kingus is with us again as we continue to explore the riches of this marvelous book of Romans. Thank you for joining us again today, Ron. You're most welcome. Once again today, we're in the very critical eighth chapter of Romans. We have terms appear in this chapter that are presented for the first time in the New Testament the Spirit of Life, and the Spirit of Christ, to name a few. Why all these different terms to describe the Spirit of God? There are two main reasons. One is that the Spirit in His person is all-inclusive. And another reason is that the function of this all-inclusive Spirit is manifold. Let's compare what we have in Romans 8 with similar scriptures. We know that there is one Spirit. Ephesians 4 says there is one Spirit. But in the New Testament, this Spirit is called the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16, we read of the Spirit of Jesus. In Romans 8, the Spirit of Christ. In Philippians 1, we have the Spirit of Jesus Christ. These titles point to the all-inclusiveness of the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of God with divinity, but the humanity of Jesus is now in the Spirit, so the Spirit becomes the Spirit of Jesus. The resurrection is in the Spirit, so it's called the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit is all-inclusive in its bountiful supply, so the Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is called the Spirit of life because this Spirit is life and contains life and imparts life. The Spirit is the Spirit of God because it is God applied to us. The different titles of the Spirit reveal the wealth, the all-inclusiveness of the Spirit. Because of the Spirit's all-inclusiveness, the function of the Spirit is manifold. The Spirit sanctifies, the Spirit gives life, the Spirit transforms, 
etc. So what we have in these titles is a rich revelation of the all-inclusiveness of the spirit and all-inclusiveness of the person and function of the divine spirit. Thank you, Ron. I'm anxious to join Witness Lee as we dive further into Romans chapter 8. Before Romans 8, no word about this spirit as the spirit of life is so clearly revealed. And he is also the spirit of Christ. If we read verses 9 and 10, we could see three terms are used interchangeably. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and eventually Christ is mentioned. This means that the Spirit of God is there, the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ is there, Christ himself. We do have God's Spirit today as the Spirit of life. And we do have Christ today as the Spirit of life who indwells our spirit. Just after this main thing, we still don't have the experience. But Romans says that we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. By walking this way, we have the experience. Then verse 6 says, The mind that on the flesh is death. But the mind sight on the spirit is life. Here, in this one verse, you have two things, the flesh and the spirit. And you have also two results, two issues, the death and the life. John 15 tells us to abide in Christ. But it doesn't show us the way how to abide. From the very beginning, I was always asking, how could I abide in Christ? Christ is far, far away now, sitting in the third heavens. And I am now living on this earth. And how could I abide in Him? No one was able to answer my question. What they could tell me was that today we could only abide in Him through the Holy Spirit. Well, I said, He does say, abide in me. He doesn't say, abide in me through the Spirit. I like to know the Bible logically, not traditionally. Jesus does say, abide in me. And where is me? I didn't get the answer. Then the second question is, what is me? I don't mean who is me. I mean what is me? Abide in me. This me is what? How could I abide in him? To see, to abide with him, that's easy to understand. Even I would know where is he and what he How could I get into him? If we only stay in John 15, we could never get the answer. Romans 8 answers us 
in an adequate way. Number one, for it's Christ today. He is not only in the heavens, but Christ is in you. We are told that Christ today is at the right hand of God in the heavens, interceding there for us. But in the same chapter, you have verse 10, which says, Christ is in you. Now we can locate where is Christ. He's not only in the third heavens, but also within us. Then, who is he? Or what is he? Most of the Christians understand who is Christ just according to an objective doctrine of the Trinity. The Father is one, the Son is the second one, and the Spirit is the third one. We believe so. God is triune. He is one in three. And He is three in one. This is a divine, heavenly, spiritual, eternal mystery. But this is not for doctrine. This is for dispensing God Himself into us. God the Father is embodied in God the Son. No one has ever seen God, but the Son of God has declared Him. So the Father is embodied in the Son, and the Son is realized as the Spirit. Up to 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul was bold in telling us the last Adam was made a life-giving Spirit. Who was the last Adam? And through his death and resurrection, he was made a life-giving spirit. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit. I am not talking about the doctrine of Trinity. No, I'm talking about the real experience. God the Father is embodied in God the Son, and God the Son is realized as the Spirit that gives life. So Romans 8, 2 says, the Spirit of life. Who is the Spirit of life? It is just Jesus, the Son of God, realized as the Spirit. Whenever you call, Lord Jesus, I love you, I believe in you, I receive you, you get the Spirit. Just like the Son is the very embodiment of the Father, now the Spirit is the very realization, the reality of the Son. The Father embodied in the Son, and the Son realized at the Spirit, they are all as one wonderful entity, right in your Spirit just for us to experience. Not a doctrine, neither a way, nor a method, nor any kind of system. No! Just this living person. This living person right now is within me. Ron, in this section, Witness Lee points out that Romans 8 is not presenting the doctrinal Christ of the Trinity. Neither does it present a way or a method, or any kind of system, but the Christ that is living right now within us. This is very unsettling for many, this experiential presentation of Christ. Does Romans 8 really focus that much on experience? 
one simply has to read the chapter and one will find inescapable the conclusion that although this portion presents tremendous truth, this truth is related to our experience. To have the Spirit give life to our mortal bodies, that's an experience. For the law of the Spirit of life to set us free from the law of sin and death, that is an experience. To have the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead live in us, that is an experience. To have life by setting our mind on the Spirit, that's an experience. These are but a few indicators that this chapter is focused on an experiential understanding of the triune God in the outworking of his economy through the dispensing of life into our tripartite being. Thank you, Ron. Let's go back to Witness Lee for more of this life study. In Romans 8, the word spirit, the mind sight, and the spirit, this spirit is too wonderful. It's hard to say whether this is our human spirit or this is that wonderful divine spirit. Because this spirit mentioned in Romans 8, 6 is a mingled spirit. The spirit with our spirit. In opposite to this, we have the flesh. The flesh was originally the pure body created by God. By the fall of man, Satan had injected himself into our body. Man took the fruit of the tree of knowledge into his body. But after this entering of Satan, this body has been contaminated. Then this body became the flesh. Within, we have the mingled spirit. And without, we have the mixed up flesh. In our mingled spirit, we have the triune God dwelling. And in this mixed up flesh, we have Satan abiding. In the garden, Adam was facing the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Now, we ourselves are just a garden. And we do have the tree of life in our spirit, and we have the tree of knowledge in our flesh. Satan, the evil one today, is in your flesh. No way, no method, no system, no doctrine can beat him down. Satan is a powerful evil person. He's only weaker than God. How could you beat him down? By your son teaching? By your fundamental way? No, no, no. Nothing can beat this evil, powerful one down. But hallelujah. We have one above him. The very triumph God who has beat him down already is within us. Now, you just day after day, hour after hour, set your being on this mingled spirit. Then, what you have? Life. What you need is just to keep yourself attached to this living one by your prayer. Don't pray, Lord, I know I must love my wife and I must have the patience. Lord, please help me to love and please give me the patience. Probably the more you pray this way, the more you will be kept away. You just, Lord, praise you. You are my love. Praise you, Lord. You are my patience. Praise you. You are my everything. Spontaneously, the love comes out of you. 
and the patient is there. You just unconsciously have all the things. This is the Christian life. And this is the Christian way for a life of holiness. And also this is a life of victory. Well, Ron, it seems that we have almost a prescription for failure offered to us in this portion. We have to admit that prayers asking the Lord to give us patience or asking him to help us to love others just don't work that well. But if we just turn to him and touch him directly as the one who is patience and who is love, then we experience these things spontaneously. This may seem like a subtle difference to many. Ron, help us understand this better way. In the Gospels, the Lord told the parable of the new garment. He said that you don't take a patch from the new garment and put it on an old garment. The new garment is Christ himself. It is contrary to God's will and God's goal in his economy for us to come to Christ in order to meet a certain ethical lack that we have. For example, we feel we lack patience, and so we come to Christ and want to cut out a piece of Christ called patience and sow it to ourselves in our living. God wants to give us the whole Christ, the complete Christ, the all-inclusive Christ as our everything. God does not want to give us things such as love or patience or power or life. God gives us Christ who is all things. So if we pray, Lord, give me patience, that prayer, according to God's economy, cannot be answered. What God wants is not to give us patience, but to give us Christ. The Christ who is everything will be patience to us. He will be love to us. He will be whatever we need. In order to appropriate such a Christ, we need a revelation of his all-inclusiveness. Our problem is we don't see sufficiently who Christ is, what Christ is, and what God intends this Christ to be to us. God's desire is to make Christ everything to us. So we really only have one need. We need Christ in his all-inclusiveness. Oh, that we would be simple and stop praying for this and that thing and simply open to receive the all-inclusive Christ as everything. Ron, I asked for help that you would enlighten to us this better way. The better way is the person. We don't have a method. We don't have a technique. We have an all-inclusive person. If our eyes would be opened, we would be exhilarated with the liberty this would bring into our spiritual life. We wouldn't be praying for this or that. We would just love, enjoy, receive, and experience Christ as everything. It's wonderful. This is wonderful. Thank you, Ron. Let's rejoin Witness Lee for the conclusion of our life study. Read chapter 7, verses 17, 18, and 20. In all these three verses, there is the word dwells. Sin dwells in me. Sin, in these few chapters, 5, 6, 7, 8, is the incarnation of Satan. 
our flesh is just the fallen body, poisoned by the nature of the evil one. Sin, the evil, the devil is now making his home in our flesh. We have some other thing enjoying us in chapter 8. In verse 10, our spirit is life already, but our body is still dead. But if this Christ who is in you is making his home in you, this indwelling spirit will give life to your mortal body. It depends upon your attitude. Would you let him make his home in you, or would you just shut him there at certain corner? If we would let him make his home within us, life will be given not only to our spirit, but also to our body. This is the indwelling Christ. So, in these two chapters, you have two indwelling ones. In chapter 7, you have the indwelling sin, which is Satan himself. And in chapter 8, we have the enjoying spirit, who is Christ himself. Sin is Satan, enjoying your flesh. And the spirit is Christ, enjoying our spirit. And in between these two indwelling persons, your mind is here representing yourself. Let's read chapter 7, verse 25. With the mind, I myself. The mind is just your representative. Just yourself. With the mind, I was endeavoring to please God by keeping the law. My mind was good, yet independent. Now, please go on to chapter 8, verse 6. For... The mind set on is dead, but the mind set on spirit is life and peace. In my flesh is sin doily, which is Satan. And in my spirit, I have Christ, the spirit, indwelling here in my spirit. And I am just in between. So, I just say, Oh, Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord, I love you. And the Lord Jesus will be everything to me. Everything what the Lord Jesus is will be fully wrought into my being. This means I will be sanctified, transformed, even conformed to This is Romans 8, and this person is just the living Christ as the life-giving spirit today in my spirit. Ron, this is quite a picture presented to us. We're told that sin is just Satan within our flesh, and the spirit is Christ within our spirit, and in between these two is our mind. In what sense is Satan in our flesh? Many people have difficulty accepting this notion. If we study Romans 7 and 8, 
we will notice that verbs indicating the actions of a person are used to describe sin. From this we infer that sin is the personification of something. Sin is actually the nature of Satan operating in us. This does not mean that Satan ceases to exist objectively. God exists objectively, but he's also in us. Satan, the devil, is a roaring lion prowling around objectively seeking to devour people. But he has injected himself as sin into fallen humanity, and within fallen humanity, this sin functions as if it were an actual person. Further evidence of the indwelling aspect of Satan is in Matthew 16, where Peter spoke from himself, and Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Satan was living and active and expressed in and through Peter. This intrinsic indwelling of Satan as sin and Christ as the Spirit makes us a miniature garden of Eden. In our flesh, our fallen nature, we have Satan personified as sin. In our regenerated spirit, we have Christ as the life-giving spirit. Where we set our mind is crucial. If we set our mind representing our person, our soul, on the flesh, where Satan as sin dwells, we get death. That's an experiential fact. But if we set our mind on our mingled spirit where Christ dwells as the life-giving spirit, we get life and peace. That's another experiential fact. This makes us a miniature garden of Eden. The tree of knowledge representing Satan is really in the flesh. The tree of life representing Christ as the spirit is actually in our spirit. We represented by our mind are in between. And all day long, we are setting our mind somewhere. It will either be on the flesh to be joined subtly with Satan, issuing in death, or our mind will be set on the spirit to be joined, even married to Christ, to get life. We have to recognize that what we have in Romans 8 is a revelation of our actual situation. Where are we right now? Are we experiencing life or death? Our burden is to point out the way of life. That's why we call this program the Life Study of the Scriptures. And it's this kind of presentation that characterizes this ministry as it seeks to unfold the Life Study of Romans 8. Ron, the Life Study of Romans is a classic presentation in general, and I believe this one is a classic Life Study in particular. Thank you for your fellowship today. You're most welcome. The Life Study of Romans continues again tomorrow. Please be with us. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, 
That's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.